children to learn on their own level. And I like when we, this morning, even for Sunday school, we dismissed the young people and there was a mass exodus. We like to have young people around here, amen? We like you old fogies too, but we, like, we need to have children uh, to be a working alive ministry. That's a blessing. Matthew chapter 7. A couple was honeymooning in the Watergate Hotel. Don't know why you would want to honeymoon there, but anyway, that's where they were. The bride's concerned. She says, what if this place is still bugged? You know, there was a time where the Watergate Hotel was bugged for a short time. So he says, that's a good point. I'll look for a bug. So he starts to look, and he's uh, checking behind drapes. He's looking above the doors, doing all these checking. And finally, he finds it, lifts back the corner of the carpet, and there it is. It's a small uh, circular disc. Uh, with four screws, and so he pulls out his Swiss Army knife, and he removes each one of those screws. He takes the disc and the screws, and he throws them out the window, and now they don't have to worry about the room being bugged. The next morning, the hotel manager's just really quizzing him. How was your room? How did everything go? How was your stay? And he was a little suspicious, and he said, why are you asking me all these questions? And he said, well, we just want to make sure everything went well. The room under you complained that while they were sleeping, a chandelier fell on them. So I want to make sure your stay was okay. We live in a self-centered culture. and encourages us to look out for each of ourselves and no one else. Even when the world does encourage good behavior, uh, it does so often for personal gratification and fulfillment. This is not the biblical model of our behavior. Jesus Christ taught us many things to how to live a certain way, not for personal benefit, but to honor the Lord. Now, as a Christian, as a child of God, we can get along with absolutely anybody, but first we must understand the principle that we find in the one-verse text we'll read today, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. My message today is extremely practical. Uh, not going to be much spitting or stomping today. Just want to give you a practical lesson out of the Bible to be a help, hopefully, to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, one verse, verse number 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men do unto you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here. As we look at this simple yet profound verse, I pray it be uh, all over its working in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It has come to be known as the golden rule. Uh, some have called this statement the Everest of all ethical teaching, the golden rule. The golden rule is the culmination of the entire Sermon on the Mount. This is the, uh, the kind of the end of the sermon, Jesus' invitational moment, if you will. He had been preaching for several chapters now, and uh, it's, it's a key word that we have here is the word therefore. Now, you know if you've read your Bible, study your Bible at all, when you see the word therefore, you see what it is therefore. And so, the, the word therefore really here means because of. Uh, the reason that, that uh, all the things I've said up to this point, therefore, or because of that, you must do this. Because of what we call the Beatitudes, that is the Sermon on the Mount, all the different ways that Jesus told us how to be, uh, the blessed bees they've been called, the Beatitudes. 
Because you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because of the bans against hatred and murder and adultery and lust and oaths. Because of the sacred rules of marriage. Because of the commands to go the second mile and to turn the other cheek. Because of doing your charitable deeds in private. Because of prayer, fasting, good works, and generosity. Because of the commands not to worry and not to judge others. Because of all those things in the Sermon on the Mount. Because of that, Jesus says, Therefore, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Now, in its negative form, the golden rule is found in the teachings of Socrates, Aristotle, Confucius, and even Buddha. Now, you, these essentially are something along the lines of don't do to others what you would not have them do to you. It took Jesus Christ to change the rule from the negative to the positive. It took him to bring it from the passive to the active. We are to gauge every thought, every word, and every action with this principle. Now, if you're a child of God, you have an edge. If you're a Christian, you have within you the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we have the Holy Spirit to help us in these matters. Uh, we are, we, it makes a Christ-like life possible with His power and His aid. So what I'm saying is that Christians ought to have no problem obeying the golden rule. After all, we have the love of the Father to guide us in His example. So, question then. Do Christians... Always love others and treat others the way that they are treated by God and the way they wish they were treated by others? Do Christians always do that? I'll let you answer that one. I think we all know the answer to that question. We live in a world with over 7.9 billion people. Uh, the number is growing every passing second. Everywhere we go, we interact with people. We sometimes may find places to escape, like going on a long hike or getting away from it all for a few days. But eventually we all have to come back to dealing and facing people. I saw a bumper sticker. I don't like morning people. Who's with that, by the way? You don't like morning people. Uh, I'm a morning person. I take personal offense to that. Just because you're lazy and want to lay in bed all day doesn't mean you shouldn't like me. Uh, but anyway, the bumper sticker, I don't like morning people or mornings or people. You ever felt like that before? Uh, daily... Dealing with people can be a real challenge for many of us. Frederick the Great said, The more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. Uh, we've probably identified with that too. We know the feeling of wanting to get away from all people in general. I like the little peanut strip one time. Lionel said, I love mankind. It's people that I can't stand. If we were honest, many of us can identify with that statement at times. People sometimes are not that great to be around. Sometimes it's a, it's a source of frustration for us. And yet here is the irony. Human companionship is something that we all desperately need. The fact, uh, God saw this very early on after he uh, created Adam, and, and he, it's a God-given desire in each and every one of us. When God created Adam, he acknowledged that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And so he created Eve. Adam took one look and he said, Whoa, man. And she's been known as woman ever since then. That's in the Hebrew. You have to look a little deeper. It's not 
but just as human companionship is good for us, so uh, the uh, making enemies is da- damaging for us in our Christian life. Now, we don't have to live in agreement with everyone, but we should not live in a state of arguing with everyone we meet either. And some people live their lives like that. Romans 12, 18, the Bible says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, to live peaceably with all men. That's how we ought to live. Matthew 7, 12 gives us the key for how to live peaceably with others. How to get along with anyone. Now, there's three, three principles in the verse I want to bring out. The magnitude of this verse teaches us that it, is, it, it really applies to every single relationship that we have in our lives. The motivation in this verse is entirely different than the motivation of other religions. The motivation in this verse reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. Finally, the movement in this verse stirs us to action. Any Christian who has a firm grasp of Matthew 7.12, well, they can get along with anybody no matter how difficult. The golden rule is of no use to you if you do not realize that it is your move. I want to look at that as we break this down. Looking, first of all, the magnitude. Therefore, in our text, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. There are no exceptions. There are no excuses, no exemptions. In everything that we do or say with others, we should ask the question, how would I feel if this were done to me? It includes all communication. Anytime you're speaking with someone, you should ask yourself, how would I feel if somebody said this to me, what I'm telling this person? At times, you may hear of information or hear about somebody that's not your business or the business of others. We ought to let every word go through the filter of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister unto the hearers. It includes all communication. It also includes all disagreements. As long as you live on earth, you're going to have disagreements with people. There's no way to avoid this. We're going to have that type of conflict. But there's a biblical way to handle it. When you're involved with any disagreement, use this verse, Matthew 7, 12, and apply it to that situation. Think about how you would like to be treated. Uh, What would you want from the other person? If we would step into the receiving end of our own actions sometimes, it would help us determine the virtue of our own actions. And so that would be a help to us. That's what this verse is talking about. You would want to be respected. It's a conflict, uh, or in a conflict, I should say, it's easy to get rude with people. We live in a strange and unsettling time in America. Never have I seen people so on edge, so angry, so spoiling for a fight about anything, especially on social media, where if you don't validate me, then you are dead to me, that type of attitude that prevails. What is that? I never thought I would see a day where people are, get so angry if you simply disagree with them. Go ahead, go on social media and uh, find a post that you don't quite agree with. Put in your two cents, and I hope you got thick skin because you will get attacked and you'll be called names and it'll be vicious behavior going back and forth. And my goodness, it's amazing to see how people get upset. I try not to be that way. 
it's all right if you don't agree with me. I can't force you to be right. Amen? And so you have a right to be wrong, as does everybody. And uh, we just need to learn that we don't always have to be ugly with one another. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ. While you do not have to agree with someone's viewpoint, we can still respect the person. Be courteous as you speak. Don't belittle someone's intelligence because of their viewpoint. Think about uh, how you feel when you're not respected in any disagreement. You know, nobody's going to see an opposing viewpoint if they're being offended at how they're being treated. So, want to be respected. We also want to be understood. Don't you hate being in a discussion where the other person's always interrupting you while you're trying to talk? Nobody likes to be interrupted. Nobody likes to be misunderstood in any disagreement. Uh, we ought to allow the other person to speak, not jump to conclusions. So uh, this idea of Matthew seven twelve it involves communication, our disagreements, and then also it involves correction. There is a certain time that we correct our fellow Christians, and there are times that we also need to be corrected. Now, who along with me loves to be corrected? I thought I was probably going to be the only one there. We don't like to be corrected. Nobody likes that. Uh, but yet, it is sometimes necessary. And anytime you correct someone, we need to handle the matter with prayer and wisdom. The Bible says, ye that are spiritual. That's the one that's to go and help a weaker brother. No one, for sure, wants to be corrected by a hypocrite. If after you apply the golden rule, uh, and you realize that, uh, that, that that's how we are to treat others, how we would like to treat, be treated. Uh, think about the fact, would you want somebody to point a sin out in your life who has a glaring sin in their own? Matthew chapter 7, actually, you're there. Look at verse number 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote uh, out of mine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote from thy brother's eye. Say, what's that about, Pastor? This is a Three Stooges episode. You ever seen Three Stooges? Here's a guy with a huge beam coming out of his eye, and as he, every time you turn his head, people getting conked on the head, and he's trying to pick out a moat from Curly's eye. You understand? This is a, what type of episode we see here. It's a ridiculous story. It's a ridiculous picture that Jesus is painting. A guy with a beam trying to pick out a moat, a sliver. And yet that's how sometimes people uh, approach correcting someone. We need to approach people with a sincere heart, with love and with concern. Uh, we want to know, if we're being rebuked, that the person rebuking us uh, has the desire for us to improve for the Lord, and sometimes that's not the case. So, communication, disagreements, correction, it includes all witnessing opportunities. Now, there's different ways that we share the gospel with people. The message is always the same, but the delivery can have some variation. There's different ways that we approach. By the way, Jesus approached different people different ways. If you go to John chapter 3, and you look at how he talked to Nicodemus, that religious leader, and then go to the next chapter and look how he talked to the woman at the well. Different people, different approaches. God, that's where God gives us wisdom. That's why the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise, because we learn how to deal with people in this area. And so as we witness to those around us, ask yourself this question. If I were 
an unsaved person? How would I want to be witnessed to? Now, this isn't easy because not everybody likes that and people respond differently to the same gospel presentation. But I think that most of us would agree that at least we should have someone who shows genuine care and compassion. We want to love those that we witness to and show the love of Christ. Did you know that people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care? The, your Bible knowledge and my Bible knowledge is not going to dazzle an unsaved person. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, the Bible says. It is our love, our care, our concern. That's why Jude 22 says, And some of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Again, talking about different ways to approach different people. Of course, you should be prayerful about your delivery, but don't ever let the fear of giving the gospel poorly stop you from presenting it at all. Right? You're not going to drive people further from heaven. Amen? So we need to give the gospel as we can. Now, unsaved people will not... Thank you for witnessing to me and giving me a gospel track. But can I tell you, friend, once they get saved, they're certainly going to be thankful God somebody shared the gospel with them. Aren't you? Aren't you glad for the person that loved you enough to give you the plan of salvation? Witnessing, sharing the gospel then should be a demonstration of love. You're grateful somebody told you whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. There was a barber. He was convicted about the fact that he just didn't share his faith like he should. And uh, with his customers especially, God brought all these people in his door and he never uh, talked to them and he was nervous about it. And so one morning he got up and he had done his devotions and he told the Lord, Today, God, I promise I'm going to witness to the first person that walks through my door. And so he opened his shop and the first man came in and said, I want to shave. And so he says, yeah, sure, sit down in the chair. I'll be with you in just a minute. And he was all flutters inside and was nervous. And, and so he went to the back and he prays, Lord, he, you, I told you the first one to come in, I would witness to. And so I'm going to do it. That's what I said I'm going to do. He walks out. He had put the, he'd put the uh, cape over the guy and uh, put some shaving cream on. And as he puts the razor on his throat, he says, sir, are you... Ready to die? Now, there's different ways we can witness. There's different effective... That's a really effective way to witness, by the way. I don't, uh, ex I don't really recommend it. But uh, I'm not saying you have to do it a certain way. Just do it. Why? Because we love people. Why? Because you're glad somebody came to you. Whatsoever you would that men should do it to you, do even so to them. It includes all of our actions. Don't we appreciate people who are considerate and thoughtful? Just as you're grateful for the kindness of others, reciprocate in the same spirit to the people that God brings into your life. Think about how grateful you are and uh, when people treat you a certain way, show that same compassion. We can make an impact in our community for Christ if we love one another. Love them. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. It includes all prayers. When we go through a really, really tough time and you ask somebody to pray for you and they say, I'll pray for you, how would you like for them to pray for you? I mean, when you're going through a really, really difficult time. I don't know. I think they should skip a couple meals to pray for me. Fast. I mean, get on their knees, put some real time in. Not as a passing fancy, but really dig deep and pray for me. Whatsoever you would that other do to you, do even so to them. 
We need to pray for others the way we'd like people to pray for us. Pray with the same genuine concern, compassion, and consistency, and then rejoice when those prayers are answered. So you have the magnitude. Now, let's look at the motivation. There are people that claim that Jesus' golden rule here was nice, but it wasn't original. Imagine people saying that uh, Jesus stole his ideas from somebody else. He plagiarized, but that's what some would say. Confucius, five years before Jesus, said this, Do not unto others what you would not wish done to yourself. Now pay close attention to these different ones here. Buddha, long before Christ, said, Putting oneself in the place of others, kill not, nor cause to kill. Rabbi Hillel, 20 BC, What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, all the rest is only commentary. Now, they, folks would imply then that Jesus' teaching wasn't all that different than the ones that came before, these other teachers that were there. But they are absolutely wrong, and you can notice the main difference in those statements. They all said, do not. Jesus said, do. There's a big difference there. The world and religion always, always focuses on the negative. They will have long lists of thou shalt nots and rules that you have to abide by and listen to. I, I was raised in a religion like that with the Amish religion, and we had a, uh, you wouldn't believe the list of rules we had, that we had to obey to the T, or we would be in danger of dying and going to hell just because we weren't listening to the rules of the religion. Uh, that's what the world does. Religion does focuses on the negative. Now, Jesus goes further than the thinking of mortal men. Where men say, don't do something, Jesus tells us that we need to do something. Many religions will have some rule. It all has to do with treating others well. But this verse is big, bigly different than what those men said because it gives a different motivation uh, for, than the religions had. What our motivation is not is that men would treat us the way that we want to be treated so that we get treated well. Follow what I'm saying? In other words, the motivation of the religious people, the, the different religions that taught that is, you treat others right, so others will treat you right. That's, re, that's selfishly motivated. We ought not live selfish, selfishly motivated. Self-love is the measure, but not the principle of our action. Our motivation simply is and must be the love of Christ. He asked us to treat others the way that we would want to be treated, but he did not tell us anywhere there that we should expect to get the same kind of treatment in return. Our motivation is unlike religions because our motivation is not negative. Let me give you a couple others. I read a few, but let me give you two more here. Confucius, Confucius, Confucianism, I think it's called. Do not do to others what you would not like yourself then there will be no resentment against you either in the family or in the state. Analex 12. Hinduism. Do not unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Mahabhatra 5, 15, 17. Now many of the other religions have uh, this golden rule negatively. Stating that we do not treat other people the way that we do not want to be treated. The problem with this is that it is selfish motivation. Today's idols, if I may say this... Today's idols are much more in the self than on the shelf. And we are obsessed with ourselves. We, are, we will treat others right so that we might get treated right too. That is selfish motivation, motivation and it is poor substitute for living for Christ and others. It's still ultimately living for self. 
Selfish motivation has to do with the anticipated outcome of the kindness being returned. Now, many people treat other people good only so that they might get treated right. That is not the motivation behind Christianity. Our motivation must be higher than selfish gratification. The motivation given by Christ has nothing to do with self. Do you know what happened if every Christian would think this way? What would happen if we'd all live just to please ourselves? So we'll be nice to others so that they're nice to me. We'll give so that we get back. Look, let's just be honest. Who do you send Christmas cards to? You send Christmas cards to the people that sent you one last year. Most of us, many of us. Did I just confess something that I'm the only one that does that? Now I feel really bad because you're all looking at me like, not us, no. Adjust your halo, okay? Many of us send Christmas cards to people we expect to get Christmas cards back from. Uh, that, that's how we live life. That's ultimately selfish motivation. I, I do you good so that you might do me good. Uh, you owe me <laughs> when I do you good. That's not Christian motivation. We oughtn't live and do right and serve God and serve others for selfish gratification. We're doing it out of love for others. Because here's what happens. If every Christian would live with the ultimate idea of selfish motivation, then as soon as somebody offends them, as soon as they get upset, or as soon as somebody does something to hurt them, and this is going to happen because people will people. And so as soon as something like that happens, they quit church or they quit on God and they go their own way. And ultimately, it comes down to why were you serving in the first place? We've got to be serving him. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. We can't live motivated by selfishness because we won't be living right long if we do that. If Satan can convince you that your self-worth is your performance plus the opinion of others, he's got you. That is not your self-worth. Your performance or opinion of others. Uh, do not use self as a motivation. So that's what our motivation is, not what our motivation is. Christians, our motivation is to honor the Lord and be a blessing to others. Matthew 7.12, our, our text here, follows several verses that are all about how we treat others. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 7, ask, seek, and knock. Verses 9 through 10 talks about giving your children good things. The Sermon on the Mount contained all kinds of challenging passages about putting others before ourselves. And Matthew 7.12, as we talked about before, is the capstone to all these principles here. Really the capstone to the entire sermon. It summarizes why we do what we do for others. The world's motivation is selfishness. Our motivation is the love of Christ and the well-being of others. Selfishly motivated activity only brings misery. You want to know about a miserable marriage? Some people come to marriage like a tick on a dog. It tick gets on a dog and sucks the blood out of that dog. The tick contributes nothing to the dog. And as one person put it, the problem in marriage is sometimes we have two ticks and no dog. Both, uh, I know this is a redneck illustration, okay? I just spent a week in Oklahoma, forgive me, that you have two people draining the life out of one another and never contributing anything to the relationship. It then becomes all about what they can get out of each other. 
that leads then to only being nice to get what you want, and it ultimately leads to misery. How much better if we do things like Christ does them, uh, not motivated with something as low as self? Then look at the movement here. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men do to you, here it is, do. That's an action word. If you're going to leave out Matthew 7, 12, you have to make a conscious decision to do so. You won't see the fruits of this verse if you passively mind your own business, always avoid conflict, and never get involved anywhere. No, no. You actually have to do what you appreciate others to do to you. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man holding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth away, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into that perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We are not called to be sitters, we're called to be doers. When God, when Jesus talked about the golden rule, he kind of threw out what Socrates and Buddha and all those other guys said. He made it, he made it active. We are to be about uh, actively uh, applying Matthew 7:12, not just passively hoping it doesn't happen to us. So to apply the golden rule, it must be action. There are several aspects of this. It must be done personally. You can't shift the movement of Matthew 7:12 to the programs of your church. You can't uh, do Matthew 7.12 by proxy with your spouse. You've got to be involved personally. You have to personally do to others what you would have them do to you. It, if it is not personal to you, this verse, then your personal relationships will never be what they ought to be. It's done personally. It's done positively. Uh, as I've said, Jesus here did not tell us what not to do. This was a positive command. If you do things for others... Uh, as you do things for others, have a positive attitude, have positive motives. You have an opportunity to make an impact in uh, the others around you in a way that would bless you, and we ought to consider that a privilege. What we do, can I remind you of this? What we do for others, ultimately we are doing for Jesus Christ. We forget that, but can I take you to a passage? In fact, turn there if you would, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This is a convicting passage because so often we forget about what it really means and how we treat others. Matthew 25, verse number 34. <clears throat> then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when were, saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? Here it is, and the king shall answer to them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, You've done it unto me. I love God. I just don't like people. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Can't say that. Because what you do to them, you're doing to him. You've heard the acrostic, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. If you're not operating in that, in that order, you're not 
going to be a happy, contented person or Christian. Jesus must be first, others next, and yourself last. That's the way to have true joy. It is done positively. It's also done pleasantly. When we serve others with the right motivation, expecting nothing in return, you often find yourself more blessed than the person you serve. In theory, in theory, we convince ourselves that we'd be happier as we seek our own interests. That was, that's what the world teaches us. You'll be happy if you get everything you want. You'll be happy if you live to please yourself. Serve number one. Watch out for number one. And by the way, I believe that. I just think you ought to change your number one. Uh, but in practice, you only strive to please yourself. You're going to end up, of all men, most miserable. Master selfishness, or it will master you, I promise you. Now, the world promises joy for those who serve themselves. But Jesus said that those who served others would have joy. Can I encourage you, friend? Well, I'm not encouraging you to try both of them, but can you just look back in your life when you've tried both of those? Serving self, living for self, only worried about me, 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 misery, living for others, joy, happiness. Try both of them out. You'll find out which one is the best one. Uh, Mark 10.45, I find this interesting. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. It is done pleasantly. It's done promptly. The minute the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, obey his impulse. When he prompts you to do something for someone, don't wait for more convenient circumstances. Here's the deal with convenient circumstances. They never show up. They just don't. I don't know how many times I've said it myself. I've been guilty of it myself. You probably have too. I'm going to witness to him when the time is right. The devil's going to make all fired sure that time's never going to show up. So we need to just do it. When the Holy Spirit lays something on the heart, we need to do it. We need to be obedient. It is a prompt uh, action. It's also done privately. When you serve others, let the Lord decide uh, who will know about it. If he wants others to know, he'll make sure they find out. It is not your job to broadcast your good deeds. Proverbs 27.2 Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth. Uh, uh, or a stranger, not thine own lips. Matthew 6.1 Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. You remember the story of the widow with poor my, uh, two mites? Jesus and his disciples are doing what Baptists do. All right? Standing back, watching the offering plate. Uh, that's what some churches do. That's, that's what they were doing, watching the offering plate. Now, Pharisees would come with big old bags of coins or gold or whatever the case might be, huh? whatever they're giving. They would, uh, tradition tells us anyway, they would even have theme music. Can you imagine that? Uh, somebody playing as they're about to give. So everybody's attention would be drawn to them and all the money they put in the plate. They're watching this, Jesus and his disciples. Here comes a poor little widow woman, has two mites, less than a penny as I understand it. She is probably embarrassingly just kind of slips them in. And Jesus told his disciples, her reward's greater than theirs. Why is that? Well, first of all, we're not really judged by what we give as much as we are what we have left after we give. And this woman gave it all, he said. And so... But this is another example here. Uh, don't do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you, reward, uh, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. God who seeth in secret rewards openly. And uh, if we are out, that's, that's why 
uh, I just encourage you, uh, you know, you do something good, you don't have to put it on Facebook every time. Uh, let another man praise ye, not thine own mouth. It's done plentifully. Don't develop a spirit of minimalism where you do the bare minimum uh, each and every day. Instead, pray that God would give you the abundant opportunities to serve, and he will give you many of those opportunities. You know what happens if you ask God to give me something to wit someone to witness to today? Lord, I've got a gospel tract here. Bring the person across my path who needs it. You know what he'll do? He'll do what you ask. Because you're praying a prayer that's aligned with his will. That's something that he is more than eager to make happen. We just need to, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and out and understand and realize there's folks all around us who need us. That's really what this verse is all about. Get your eyes off yourself and on others. It's done passionately. Remember, practicing the golden rule, uh, we don't do it out of guilt. We make Matthew 7:12 our passion. We're out doing everything that we can for others. The dictionary definition of passion is a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement for something or about doing something. Be enthusiastic and excited about living out Matthew 7, 12. In fact, it is, uh, I don't have my bulletin up here, but if you got a bulletin today, it's your memory verse for this week. I encourage you, if you haven't learned a verse all year, make this your first one. Learn this verse. This is one we ought to live. This is one we ought to apply to our daily life. If we do that, it gets our focus off of ourselves and it gets us out on others. It is no secret that no matter how hard we try, there are some personalities that we just don't mesh with. Have you noticed that? I've said this before. You take a, put a hundred, we've got over a hundred people in, in a church this morning. You put a hundred people in a room this size. Uh, there are connections and friends here. We would not be friends in any other circumstances. We don't have things in common. I don't like the same things you like. You don't like the same things I like. And other than our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, we really probably wouldn't ever be friends. And so <clears throat> this is a unique situation because it really it doesn't happen anywhere else. I mean, you go to a monster truck pull, you're going to see a bunch of rednecks. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you go to the opera, and if you're a redneck, you're going to be the only one. That's just how it is. We go to other places, and there's... There's that type of people there. Church is different. Church is different. Some people say, why is there so much fighting in church? Well, this is one reason. We have a bunch of people with different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, different outlooks on life, different traditions, you put, and different interests, different likes. You put them all together, and the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not always easy to do. It's sometimes difficult to do. And yet, that's what Christ calls on us to do. But if we live out Matthew 7, 12, it'll help us. And it'll help us to become uh, closer to those around us. Look, we don't all have to be each other's best friend, but uh, we have something to celebrate together in salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have no reason not to get along with people. As Christians, we have no reason and no excuse for being ugly whether it's on social media or whether it's in everyday life. We ought to be courteous. We ought to be kind. We ought to bring a good name to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to be careful that we live uh, in such a way as to have a good testimony. We can be kind even to those who misuse us. 
because of God's love in our hearts, we can demonstrate that love to others. Because you know what Jesus Christ did with you? You were undeserving. I was undeserving. And he still loved us enough to spread his arms and die on the cross for our sins. And so let us not think we are... Uh, we, we have greater expectations than Jesus Christ himself that just because somebody doesn't deserve my kindness, well, let's give it anyway because that's what our Savior did. Amen? And we can have that type of attitude. Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Some people, uh, because it's just us here, we can be honest, okay? Some people, you're not going to be able to love unless God does it through you. Have you met them? Yeah. Don't point. Nobody point now. There's some people you're just not going to love unless God does it through you. You know what he does? He does exactly that. It talks about in this verse. We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We are not right with others. We are not right with God. We cannot claim to be vertically right with him and be horizontally wrong with people. We need to have that balance. To be in contention with brothers and sisters in Christ is to be in contention against Christ himself. You say, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, let's read 1 John 4.20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. The Bible's stronger than I am on that statement, aren't they? He's a liar, for he, he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Well, that makes us do a little bit of a heart search, doesn't it? Let's settle our contentions and live out Matthew 7, 12. Uh, it was Edward Markham, Edwin Markham that said, We have committed the golden rule to memory. Now let us commit it to life. It's easy to read. It's even easy to memorize. It's not that easy to live. And yet, that's what we're called to do. It's the capstone of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the concluding thought of all the things he spoke. The Sermon on the Mount. How we should treat people. How we should treat God. The love we should have for one another. What we do and what we don't do. And then he kind of encapsulates it all in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7. That we ought to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Watch how the Lord will use that verse in your life, if you apply it in your life, to make an impact on others. If our church would apply it corporately, all of us would apply that verse and live that verse in our life, what an impact we could have in the community around us. You can have an impact in your life. We can do it together if we live out Matthew seven twelve, the golden rule. Let's have every head bowed every eye closed. I know this was a different type of message and you're used to hearing here sometimes, but I think that if we, uh, once in a while, we need to stop and just consider some of what Jesus said and practically look.